Hello, good evening, and welcome. I'm Simon Bestwick. And I'm Gemma Files, and this, of course, is No Ooh. Darkness, but Hearts. Christmas edition. Creepness um, edition. Creepness. Um, yes, my, uh, my, my son, um, at one point, started calling the Christmas tree the Creepness tree. He, you know, you can't remind him of that now, because he's almost 20. And... <laughs> He gets pissed off, but um, but yeah, you know, it's like, do you, do you want to put up the Christmas tree, Al? <laughs> yeah. I bet you were very proud of him when he coined that particular phrase. I was extremely, extremely proud of him when this he coined like that. Yes, this is, yes, this is, this is my son, definitely. <laughs> well, you know, he's the Nightmare Before Christmas is still his uh, favorite film of all time, really. Terrific movie, and yes, I think Kate and I need to need to watch that. Um, we, yes. we 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 have sort of scratched our heads over it's more of a Halloween or a um, a Christmas film. But I think the answer is both. Yeah, why no, not, both is is absolutely true. I I personally think you can you can watch it anytime from October to from October to the end of December, beginning of January. Exactly. Rather than reminds me of a, of a meme that a, a bisexual friend of mine is, is very fond of, which has this yeah. woman going, the Bible said Adam and Eve. So I did both. <laughs> both, yes, both, both is good. As, as you can see, this is Christmas because um, my, my better half got me that. Yeah. Um, nice. Which is very nice. And it does uh, hide the fact that I managed to uh, uh, spill food all down the, 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 the T-shirt I'm wearing under it. So, you know, um, as As good. you can see, I'm not wearing christmas stuff at all so sorry about that um i, I do have a christmas sweater in the <laughs> in the closet if you want me to go get it should i put a pair of those antlers i should I put a pair of those antlers on shouldn't i wow. uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so the christmas edition as as last christmas and as a halloween uh we are going to regale you with some suitably eerie uh tales or or, or gross or gruesome or gross or just Jesus Christ, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, type yes. It's usually one or the other with, it's usually one of those categories with us. Um, so yours is from um, the Ellen Datlow anthology, isn't it? Yes, it uh, Christmas and Other Horrors. Um, interestingly, I was reading a review of this, which said that it had much too much of three things. Uh, let's see if we can spot them. <laughs> uh, was that the anthology in general or your story in particular? My story, my story, nice. definitely oh, my so story. Sorry. It was the story, the, the anthology in general, especially this blooming Gemophiles tale. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was definitely just me. <laughs> oh. Lowering the tone, it's what we're good at. All right. No light, no light. There is fire under the ice, always. Fire and venom. Poison, lava, gas, salt, blood, eggs and sperm and bone fragments, a million fetal fossilized monsters, and lies also. Above all, below all, lies. Everything about me is a lie. Lying, I discovered long ago, is a sort of magic. You tell the truth in advance and make it so, changing other people's timetables for your own. You reframe a story from your own perspective, occult it. Change the narrative, make it your own. I've done this since I began to talk, long after my parents thought me likely to. Began with a full sentence, factual rather than fictional at the time, and then kept on going. 
I made words my weapons, my tools, my trade. I clothed myself in a suit of lies and made my way out into a liar's world already equipped, apparently from birth, to tell exactly how far the version of reality we socially agree to agree upon might be stretched before thinning, let alone breaking. Lied my way through school, from bed to bed, into and out of trouble. Faked my way into and out of things, learned on the job, fell on my feet time and time again. Charm was part of it. Yes, I'm not unattractive, though flexible to a fault. Trustworthy under the right circumstance, or at least consistent. You can't simply make things be the way you say they are, Thomas, my mother told me once after some formative debacle. Some truths are simply the truth to which I beg to differ, not that I felt it right to do so to her sweet, sadly, slightly sad face. All truths are negotiable, mother, I might have replied, had I truly wished to hurt her, even when we don't want them to be. Solstice, the point in the year where the sun appears to stand still, reaching either its highest or lowest point in the sky. Winter is said to start with one on December 21st or 22nd, which marks the shortest day of the year, once backdated by Christians all the way to December the 13th, the feast of Virgin Martyr St. Lucy, upon the theme of whose truncated holiday John Donne once wrote his famous nocturnal, Let me call this hour her vigil and her eve, since this both the years and the days deep midnight is. The Vikings, meanwhile, called the same period Yule, from which our word Yule probably evolved. Not Christmas, not originally, but rather the resonance of a far longer darkness to come, a climax both mythic and terminal, thimble winter, varga winter. That's what the sagas call it, the dusk before true night falls. Three successive winters when snow blows from all directions and summer never comes. Innumerable wars follow, the sun's death, the end of worlds, a harsh time, a black time, a time when the wind bites like wolf teeth. Whoever thought we'd look back on the idea of Ragnarok with nostalgia one day, eh, Tom? Dr. Grima Kielsen asked me, as we mapped rising temperatures together by the infamous Lakagigar Fisher's side. Ice was already softening on Vadnayuku, after all. These shelves were falling, both north and south. Meltwater rising, grant applications aside, we both knew we were really there to find out how long we had, then try, try to figure out a way to extend it. Just science pitted against itself from one end of the thermometer to the other. As things get hotter, they start to split, to fall apart, holes form, and things once lost or revealed, crawling up towards the surface. Our plan was simple, hopefully too much so to fail, set one disaster to catch another. Who indeed, I replied, meeting a smile with one of my own, equally thin and pointed. Jokes being all we had to offer, you see, even in the face of certain extinction, since we knew ourselves abandoned, though not, as yet, by whom. Throughout my life, I used to have this particular sort of dream, this string of dreams that almost seemed to feed into each other, the way you'll dream about a place over and over, some place you've never really been, not in real life, waking life, but every time you do, you recognize it, even though it doesn't exist. I mean, you have to assume it doesn't really exist, yes? Or hope so, perhaps. The place I'm thinking of, I always just call the cold ham, like cold home, but with the words run together in compound metaphor, a sort of homemade Anglo-Saxon kenning. 
bone house for body, battle light for swords. So cold because it couldn't be anything else, snow crusted and mainly level, but with rocks here and there, gray further up, black further off, black closer up, a snowy sky too, Cl clouds swollen and overhanging, gray wavering light, maybe some fog in the distance or steam, hard to see where the horizon lay if there was one. A shadow of cliffs or mountains, maybe glaciers, mountains covered in ice, and home just as much somehow, instinctually, inexplicably, because it belonged to me and I to it. Sometimes I'd come walking into the cold hand dream from one direction, sometimes from another. Sometimes I'd just find myself there, suddenly realize I'd slipped from lying with my eyes closed and trying to breathe slowly, deeply, relax myself part by part until I could go from trying to sleep to simply being asleep, my eyes open again, seeing this landscape inside my skull, this movie projected on the backside of my shut lids. No sense of time lag, just here, then there, a done deal. I knew it was cold, but I seldom felt it, maybe because I was wearing dream clothes all kitted up for survival hiking. Maybe because it didn't matter, I could see my breath, but only when I thought about it. I kept my eyes on the ground mainly because I already knew what everything else looked like after a while. Those black fields could be tricky, unstable, untrustworthy. Sometimes the snow lay over scree and your feet would start to slide, especially if you walked too fast. Sometimes the earth gave way entirely. Much like the time my father phoned me at boarding school to tell me my mother had died, almost exactly that same sudden lurch and shudder, that gravitational spasm predicted but never quite believed the impossible proven unless he was lying. But why would he be? Because he did, that's why. So often I'd gotten used to simply assuming it, a habit, a game, his job, because he was at base, just like me, a bloody liar. Not that time though. A slip and a fall, short or long, into darkness, because there was always a hole under the ice of Coldham somewhere. I entered each dream well aware it was there, though I never could tell exactly where, no matter how slowly I moved, how wide I kept my eyes as I scanned the stony dirt, how carefully I struggled to tell cracks from tracks. Never could tell where the edge was, no, not until I was right down in it. These days, after briefly lying myself into the army and then lying myself back out again before any potential charges could stick, I am currently deep in study to eventually become what's known as a volcanologist. Vulcan, after the god, the Roman name for Hephaestus, whose forge made all the Greek pantheon's best toys and weapons. He was dwarfish and ugly, crippled too, because his mother, Hera, disliked the sight of him so much she threw him out of Olympus as a baby. Determined to start over, of course, next time round, she got a complete psychopath. Ares, god of war, a bully who also happened to be coward. But at least that one was handsome, which I suppose explains why when Hephaestus married Aphrodite, the goddess of desire, the two of them cheated on him with each other. I don't have any of those problems, thankfully, amongst my many, as an only child, not straight, not married either. Much preferring to swipe right on my own Greek gods, meet them on neutral ground, and then leave when they're in the shower and block their accounts after. Unless they're useful for more than sex, that is. Grima advised me once that switching my store of archetypes to those derived from Norse mythology would probably suit me far better, given how little distinction Scandinavians tend to make between their deities and their monsters. Loki is a god as well, Tom, he said, but also a Jotun, god of the Jotnar. One might even argue, because since he constitutes their main representative among the Aesir, though the Jotnar themselves would disagree, if you ask them. 
I'd looked Loki up by then. You do that when you're fucking a guy from Iceland. And he certainly did remind me of myself, at least an archetype, chaotic and impulsive, quick to plaster pleasant fictions over his own mistakes in hopes he could fix things before anyone noticed. Gambling the lie wouldn't prove impossible to deliver upon, attracted to whatever finds him attractive, changing himself to match it and settling into the imitation, only to tire of the game long before his partners do, doomed to remain ever unsatisfied, apt to turn on a dime and burn things down from the bottom up, often by setting himself on fire. Sorcerer, seer, insult comic, comic of the Viking age, he called his fellow gods out on their shit and got away with it, until he didn't. Husband of monsters, father of monsters, mother of monsters in his female form. An enviable ability, even by today's standards of gender fluidity. It only makes sense there's a god of lies, even if he comes from a culture I wasn't born into. If there wasn't, I might well have found myself compelled to invent one. Going by most myths, Loki rarely represents anyone else's interests particularly well, I pointed out, be they Jodnar, Aesir, or otherwise, so I've gathered. Which makes him your perfect role model, doesn't it? Grima replied. Much better than Vulcan, anyways. Ha. But enough about me. The moment I got off the, the plane in Reykjavik, it had already occurred to me that I might just be headed into Coltane territory. Not that one necessarily expects to stumble across an imaginary landscape outside the confines of one's brain, but then again. Perhaps we all spend far more time doing that on an unconscious level than we actually think we do. The team I was joining, Grima's team, was already camped close to Lakagigar, whose 130 plus vents bisect the mountain of Laki in the western part of Vadnajokul National Park, not far from Kirkjubaisdjarslaster in southern Iceland. It was here over uh, 1783 to 1785 CE, that a series of violent eruptions caused 42 billion tons of basalt lava and clouds of sulfur dioxide and hydrofluoric acid to vent from both the fissure itself and from Grimsvotten, the volcano that spawned it. Fluorine gas later joined the party. Eight million tons worth spewing what came to be called the Lackey Haze across Europe. The consequences for Iceland were severe. Nearly a quarter of the human population died of starvation, along with 80% of all sheep, 50% of all cattle, 50% of all horses. Dental and skeletal fluorosis ran rampant. In Reverend Jun Steingrimson's fire sermon of July 20th, 1783, he described the situation in horrific detail. This past week, and the two prior to it, more poison fell from the sky than words can describe. Ash, volcanic hairs, rain full of sulfur and saltpeter, all of it mixed with sand, the snouts, nostrils, and feet of livestock grazing or walking on the grass turned bright yellow and raw. All water went tepid and light blue in color, and gravel slides turned gray. All the earth's plants burned, withered, and turned gray, one after another, as the fire increased and neared the settlements. Nor did the devastation stop there. As the gas moved through Europe, fog hung heavy, and the sun shone blood-colored. Thunderstorms multiplied, spewing hailstones so big they killed livestock. There was widespread panic and flooding as volcanic winter descended. Those who inhaled the gas directly 
suffocate on their own internal soft tissues, which swelled as cipher dioxide re reacted with the, mo the moisture in their lungs, turning into sulfuric acid. The only good thing about this disaster, the detail upon which Grima built his theory that the rap rapid recent shrinkage of the Vatniyukul glacier might signal an incipient fresh eruption from both Lakagigar and Grimsvoten, one potentially violent enough to cause yet another fissure was that the original event did manage to lower global temperature all over the, Norman, the Northern Hemisphere, eventually producing England's own year without a summer. Not to mention the general uh, Malthusian fallout, Grima added, in, with typical Icelandic fatalism, the sort you can trace right on back to the sagas themselves. There is no need to look. It is just as you think. The leg is off. Does the university know you're planning to repoison your own country in order to stave off climate change a few more years? I asked him. I mean, do they even believe in the concept? Of course, they're not Americans, besides which I'm not planning on it. But you do admit that might be the result, adding as he shrugged, and they're willing to sign off on it. Tom, please, do you really think I'd ask them to? That's why you're here, my friend. Karina and I had met under interesting circumstances, which is often how I make most of the contacts I don't end up deleting. As smart as he was charming, he was ever so slightly taller than myself, long-haired and as muscular as one of those giant cats who drew the Norse goddess Freya's war wagon. Like Freya, his passions ran high. Love and war. The sort of gorgeous eco-terrorist, fully willing to kill some to save most, extend the year's longest night a year or so, to sue in order to soothe our planet's fever with a healing thimble solstice, no matter the literal fallout. If they tried him for it afterwards, at least he knew he'd look good on television. I was, am, of a far colder turn of mind, which he openly appreciated, when many don't. Sadly, I've never been immune to that sort of flattery. Our plan was to drill down and take core samples, send heat-sensing penhole cameras in on filaments as far as we could without the melting, then use ground-penetrating radar to map out as much of the rest as possible, see if the fissure actually was forming cracks that might bloom into new vents, see if any of those pre-vent cracks looked hotter than usual. Though with volcanic activity, the safe range of heat involved is often somewhat hard to reckon. On the Reykjanes Peninsula, the Iceland dr deep drilling project almost reached 5,000 meters in search of geothermal energy. Supercritical water transformed by heat and pressure into something beyond either a liquid or a gas, a 500 degree form of steam. We, on the other hand, were only seeking to map out sub-ice volcanic action, tuyas, tinder, without penetrating the sort of mafic dike swarms that mimic oceanic crust fissures, at least until we thought we needed it. We had to. What if the vents don't want to erupt, though? A younger team member adventured. In time to do us any good, I mean. Grima and I traded glances. Those charges I got you from my army contacts might come in handy at that point, I'd suppose, I said, to which he nodded gra gravely. Tom is correct, sadly, Margaret, he explained. Since if science has taught us anything, it is that we cannot trust nature to do the right thing on command. No more than nature in her turn can trust us to gods and monsters, I found myself murmuring, not quite under my breath, and Grima nodded once more. Since all gods are monsters, he agreed. 
On day two, we broke ground. By day four, we were down far enough to sync the cameras and start mapping. On day seven, Thursday slash Thursday, we found an interesting deviation, a shadowy area that seemed to involve up to three events at once, tangled like a knot of plaque-crusted veins, hiding beneath an obese man's ventricle, a potential heart attack waiting to happen. I could always widen the hole with a few microcharges, I suggested. Shear off a bit of shelf and break it down. Let it melt in the steam, see what bubbles up, so to speak. Grima let his brows tangle in height just slightly. I love when you talk dirty, he murmured, after carefully making sure poor little Margaret was looking elsewhere. So that was Friday sorted. Uh, the charges went off a treat, revealing something unexpected, rivulets of extremophile life that glowed and fluttered in, in water currents hot enough to cook at a touch, glowing microbes large enough to see with the naked eye, fungi sprouting from thin seams of rock poised above lava like groping, twisting tubers, blind yellow insects clinging to a half-molten shelling. None of us had ever seen anything like it. That is odd, Grima announced unnecessarily. Don't you think? couldn't not really will it interfere with the next stage i studied the fissure can't see it doing so i said finally still room on one side to lower down another round of charges of course they'll probably collapse the grotto beyond saving i shot him a sidelong look margaret's not the only one who'd object to doing that so soon before getting a good chunk of fauna samples anyhow can't blame her. She strikes me as a shameful waste myself, but Grima's sigh sounded more like he was sad about not really being upset than anything else. So I suppose we'd better take the time to do that now before anyone ha else has the chance. Good, I agreed, and we did. It was late when we retired, but anticipation kept us sharp. You know that Loki is supposed to be imprisoned beneath a volcano. The tales say, Grima murmured as we shared the comfortably tight fit of his extra-large sleeping bag, for killing Baldur the Light God and refusing to mourn him afterwards. There was more to the story, of course, there always is. When the Norns foretold Baldur's death, his mother, Frigga, traveled the world begging each creature individually to promise not to let him die, except the mistletoe, which she considered far too weak and young to be any sort of threat, but Loki, who disapproved of anyone cheating weird except himself, made an arrow out of one of its twigs. When the rest of the Norse gods stood around Baldur in a circle, trying to wound him with various weapons and laughing at the way nothing hurt him, Loki slipped this arrow into the hand of the god Hod, who had been blinded in battle. Hod threw it, only to hear a horrified hush as the twig lodged in Baldur's throat, killing him instantly. And though many suspected Loki had disguised himself as the Jotun woman who would not weep over Baldur's grave in order to doom him to the dread hall of his own daughter, Hela. No one would ever have known the full depth of his guilt if he hadn't gotten drunk and started telling all the other gods how stupid they were years afterwards. Thor caught Loki in a net of Loki's own devising, Grima continued, gripping my wrists, playing at pinning me down further than I already was. An old father sentenced Loki to be wound to a rock beneath a mountain with ropes made from the guts of his own son by Sigyn, his Aesir wife. There he would lie forever with a snake dripping venom on his face, writhing so hard the earth around him cracked and threw off hot vapors. Under this mountain or somewhere else, I asked him, licking along his sweaty neck. Under every mountain, maybe, every volcano, he is a god still. Oh, yes. And not forever either, really. No, only until Ragnarok. Ragnarok 
or until he is found and escapes, whichever comes first. We rutted against each other until the heat inside matched the cold outside, then fell asleep. In the army, I considered my particular role that of the person who'd actually do those things everyone else around me knew just as well as I did had to be done, even if they weren't willing to wish, risk getting caught doing them. I'm not sure how I thought this would pay off for me in the end, better than it did, if no worse. They relied on me to be the bastard, and then they got rid of me. This is the way it works, almost always, the part I seem born to play. Tom is tempter, an agent for ill change. Tom who says, that's a terrible idea. Of course I'm in. Tom who, when co-conspirators point out that no one who knows the full plan will ever go along with it, tends to suggest, then lie to them. You poison everything you touch, son, and that's the sad fact of it. My former commanding officer told me right before I was decommissioned, you contaminate, spread like the clap, no matter where your pricks pointed. Bloody hell, you're COVID in a suit. To which I replied, you mean I make everything I touch more like me? Which is true enough, so far as it goes, though I can't shift my own shape regrettably. I do more than a, know more than a bit about how to convince others that they can alter theirs, what cracks they can get through, what holes they can fit if they only try their best exactly what they're capable of, what we all are, if we're willing to admit it. That night I had the Coldham dream at last, as I'd somewhat known I would. The only thing that surprised me was how long it had taken to percolate, given the last week's events. It came upon me more oddly than usual, though it didn't seem so in the moment. On memory's tale, sliding from lived experience to impossibility within an aneric eye blink, it began with an impromptu parking lot rave I'd attended while still in grammar school. All the almost adults and adults crushed around me, crushed around me far too drunk to tell a tall, equally drunk 13-year-old from someone they should legally worry over making passes at. Cradled in the reeking smell of hash, beer, and gasoline, I danced wildly, flailing into prospective fights and flirting with anyone willing to flirt back until without warning or explanation, my mother was suddenly there and I screamed at her to leave me alone for once being outright honest about how much I hated, well, everything really, aside from her, which I know she found hard to distinguish at the time. In real life, I turned and ran, trying not to hear her crying behind me. And in the dream, the parking lot's cracked asphalt turned to steaming black gravel underneath my feet, then to snow-swathed rock. The sky went steely pale, humid summer, flashing to arid, freezing wind. Adult once more, I half clambered, half ran down an ever-steepening slope, not slowing even when the chasm finally opened before me. Didn't feel as though I fell, but I went down hard nonetheless, too fast for climbing or even rappelling. My gloves and boots juttered over the crevasse walls, sliding farther down and faster, darkness collecting around me till there was nothing but blind black everywhere, feeling my descent in the pit of my stomach, after which it stopped short the way falls in dreams always do and I spasmed through the sort of shock people used to fear would actually kill or wake you. This did neither, however, so I sat up looking around. It felt real, air almost too heavy to breathe, cold and old and dusty, palms, skin sore, grains of rock shoved in under my nails deep enough to hurt. It looked like the kind of cavern one might find at this depth if I'd somehow managed to get past the thermophile grotto and the charges we'd hung just beneath it. Granite walls cracked apart by tectonic force and smoothed out by trickling water too deep to freeze, alive with drips splashing into puddles, lit only by glowing stains of lichen. 
I searched the ceiling for the crevasse I must have fallen through, couldn't find it, then scanned slowly down the, wa the wall's dark places, squinting for a way out. Columns resolved themselves with effort. Cracks and holes, holes and cracks, bulging outwards, retreating inwards, forming shapes, one of which moved. Christ! I leaped back, then caught myself, scrabbled over the rock floor and finally got close enough to make the shape out properly. A naked man taller than me, than Grima. Mane of hair equally filthy and its color impossible to see in the faint light. He lay propped up against the wall's base, head slack, though I could see his chest moving. Ribs stood out, gaunt beneath lean muscle. I drew breath. The sound came out sharp. Enough so to rouse him. His eyes cracked open. Water, he husked, or seemed to. Not in English, and it wasn't as if I spoke Icelandic or whatever this was. Something coarser, older, far older. Yet I understood immediately, simply knew the same way I knew Coldhame, knew myself, knew what lie to tell, and when, to who, as if he, we, shared a common tongue. I scooped up some from a nearby pool, burning my own skin to trickle it bet between his lips. Both cracked so deep they seemed almost scarred, as if they'd been sewn together once, then ripped free. At length he held up a hand. His wrists were chafed bloody. When? He whispered. I told him the date, watching his eyes widen. They were pale enough to throw back the lichen light, a blue so pure it almost red as white. Soon, he breathed and scrambled to his feet with startling speed. Come, follow. He led me to a crack of shadow bet between folds of granite, a passage I'd never have seen without his help. And before I knew it, we were hurrying down a lightless hallway, our feet slapping the stone and raising eerie echoes that rang long distances into the dark. What happened? I called after him, struggling to keep up. How'd you get down here? Who are you anyways? No time, he shouted back. His voice was high and clear and high now, almost girlish. Touch the stone. Think on what you feel and run, 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 run. His footsteps accelerated. I stumbled and let myself fall against the wall, palms flat upon the rock and froze, sucking in a gasp. The stone buzzed against my skin, almost stinging. A low thrum filled my ears, like the deepest, largest bass string in the world tightened to the edge of snapping. Every cell in me knew what that meant, even before my brain processed the signals and gave them their oh-so-bland English name, imminent tectonic event. Hell. I, I breathed, bursting into the fastest sprint I could manage till the slope became a climb, a clamber, spider swarming through my own blood up the same walls my companion treated like a ladder, calling up after him as I did, wait, please, wait, 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 wait for me, please. At which point something exploded, filling the entire narrow world with heat too bright to bear. A dream, still a dream. Or was it? What else could it be? This is the weird which cannot be unspun, a voice said deep inside me. A man's voice, a woman's voice, my own voice, my own. I bring it to birth because I must. My malice, my pride, my revenge. Squatting here centuries long in this fissure, waiting to be found. And now you find me, you, who are a splinter of myself, disguised in human flesh. Oh, this is lawful. This is correct. This is where my lying in must begin, here in the flame's bright heart. Birth, I repeated, or thought I did. Birth of what? Gods and monsters, of course, came the answer, a sly smile in every syllable. You know you know it, kinsman. 
monsters to kill the gods, then become the gods. The beginning of the end. The beginning in the end. The beginning. Ragnarok. A hand in mine reaching down, pulling me bodily up past fungi and insects, stalactites, salt and crystal, old bones and runestones, fluorine blooms, coiling corpse wax blossoms. That strange face grinning down at me with yellow eyes and blue pointed teeth, hair like red flaming horns, he turning into she and back again, old to young, young to old, human to inhuman the wall opening fractal around us, forming a spiral staircase, the hole melting around and beneath us, changing, always changing. That hand in mine sprouted tattoos that spread upwards and downwards along my own limbs in turn, the snaky ridges that united us becoming ever darker, and more complex, calcifying growing scabs, digging in becoming scars, snakes and wolves and scales. Its nails grew and bent backwards, spaded and subdivided, became claws that popped off to embed themselves in the fissure's walls. The fungi puffed up, released spores that turned into gas, suffocating me, making me hallucinate. I spit phlegm and blood, drooled bits of tissue, hearing again that voice which crooned sympathetically, seeing my distress. Oh yes, I forgot after all these years, so long away from humans, you really are such delicate creatures, and credulous too, if I recall, though probably not you. The hand in mine getting larger, rougher skinned, blue gray and stony. Above me, that face, male once more, a foxy fall of hair, sloped down across half of it. He pushed it back to reveal naked bone, fossil teeth in double rows, one glowing, roomy, sunken corpse's eye, a shadowy wolf padding in to join us from some parallel tunnel, a giant snake tail stretching to grate behind us, venom dripping down like boil off to scald me, brand me, blind me, and Loki, for who else? Who else could it be? No one else. Loki himself, always getting bigger, brighter, hotter, almost too painful to hold on to, not that he let me pull away. His red hair gathered together into a single spiraling horn, ridged like an ibex's, growing so far back it dug into his own skull, drawing blood, and always moving up faster, 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 as we rose straight up through the explosion's heart. Thermite charges paused between microseconds, their very sparks flinching apart to let us travel through them up into his embrace, his arms closing round me, trapped tight, a pair of jaws, his scarred lips on mine, snake teeth biting in, a thousand years of swallowed venom, venom venting headlong down my throat, telling me somehow as it did, the Nagalfar sets sail now, rescuer, the ship made from spite and dead men's fingernails. My children rejoin me, hungry for heart's flesh. Soon they will swallow the moon and sun, breathe poison across Midgar's skin. Then the cold will come forever, and this world will shrink back to its beginnings. A rot bred from my ancestors' bones, a rim of rhyme, a crack with darkness above, darkness below, darkness everywhere. And then, at long last, I shall count myself satisfied. But will you, I wonder? Will I? Will you, Thomas? Willing shadow avatar, long lost descendant, bastard offspring? Oh, I doubt it. And I wake, buried in snow, the camp borne away by lava. Wake alone, Grima, no doubt long gone as well. His ashes upblown to hang, black burnt on the eruption's tree, like Odin's corpse from Yggdrasil's branches, a sacrifice himself to himself. Wake blind and coughing, 
stripped back to my innermost core with all my falsehoods peeled away. In the face of a stinging yellow storm, a sulfurous rain, a phosphorescent overhung cloud of unknowing that turns the long night bright, hearing my dream god's voice ever in my ear, deep purring, this way, Tom the liar, stumble away on your jaundiced feet down to the shore where the ice is breaking. Watch how the world serpent rises at last to meet us from his planet-wrapped coils. Breaking surface with a wrench, a hiss. Open your raw eyes wide and see how they shine, my dear one. The keratinous scales of our vessel's hull, so twisted and broken where they've grown to full length after burial. Here comes my half-faced daughter, my berserk second son, his wolf skin trailing, my Jotun and my Aesir wives, who held the bowl so long between them, keeping the serpent's venom from my face, who never deserted me entirely, no matter how I cursed them for my own mistakes. Let me introduce you. Angerboda, Tom, Tom, Sigyn, Hela, Fenrir, Nari, and Nali. We are family now, you and I and they. If only for the service you have given me, brothers in blood yet unshed. This ship is here, so step on board. Help me wield the weird with which I'll scratch my fellow gods' faces away from the firmament, bringing an old world down to birth anew. And if we die in the doing so, what of it? All stories live on for God, or good or ill. All lives become truths if they only last long enough. No fiction powerful enough to trick a whole world into hanging poisonous green leaves from a plant once used to make the arrow that killed the god of light and forgiveness up to steel kisses beneath can ever be quite forgotten. And is it only telling me what it thinks I want to hear this voice? Probably yes. Almost certainly. I would. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. That's just some truly. That's just a, a, some amazing prose. Fantastic visionary. Wow! I was so happy to finally write that story because you know I've wanted to write a Loki story for a long time. I had a feeling you might have somehow. <laughs> and I, I, I stopped visualising Tom Hiddleston very uh, quite quickly um, <laughs> once he once he found him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Tom the liar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Perfect, perfect. The worst of hit me over the head with a tree before and often enough and I'll cotton on to anything. Um, <laughs> well, you know, that, that was the fun part. The fun part was to have both forms of Loki yes. <laughs> in the <Yeah>. story. <laughs> oh, I absolutely love that. That's fantastic. Um, so, interesting... Um, uh, thing here. Um, your yeah, so your story took a uh, uh, took its title from a song by Florence and the Machine. Uh, right. Correctly. Well, mine takes its title from a song from a song as well. Um, which song will become very apparent with the opening lines? Um, and I'll just get straight into it because it's 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 very short and yours was amazing and it's a very hard act to follow. So I better just yeah. <laughs> Jump in quickly. I really want to hear it. Okay. Last Christmas, I gave you a heart. The very next day, the storm went away. For a while, at least. Which is, it seems, the best we can hope for now. I don't remember when we last saw sun. Or green. Or the yellow, red, or blue of flowers. Any colour, really. But 
white or gray. It's been two years now of storms, only three. All howling wind, tiny driving knives of snow and crystal ice of relentless creeping cold. When the storms abate, we have time, little windows of opportunity in which to find things to burn or eat, supplies with which to maintain the mechanisms that sustain us, turning our waste to manure and flammable gas, powering the UV lights with bicycle dynamos worked in shifts to make our hydroponics grow. Everything, everything geared to the maintenance of bare survival in the hope that one day soon, let it be soon, the winds will cease the winter pass and spring come once again. The hope feels more forlorn each year, especially when we feel the presences moving in the howling white, ghosts and bales of snow, unseen things, unknown, prowling the wastes in search of the few remaining haunts of humankind. When we feel them coming, we fall quiet. The lights go out, the dynamos are still. Hands go over children's mouths to stop them crying out in the hope that the presences will pass on. Sometimes it works. Too often it doesn't. On those occasions, the presences gather silent outside our doors, waiting. We know without asking, without words of any kind, what they want. And that what is not freely offered will be taken instead by force and in far greater quantity. When that happens, we all must choose. One of us must feed them. And sentiment can play no part. The whole must survive the community until the next time. And so there must always be enough of us to work and forage, repair and build, and weave the thin thread of electricity that tethers us to life. The weakest of us have no chance at such times. She was beautiful. Honey-haired, June-sky-eyed, a laugh like silver, the last piece of colour in the world. But she was the smallest among us, the weakest. Her body hadn't yet grown out into its fullest strength. A year later, maybe two, she could have made a dynamo run for the length of a full shift. But the demands of survival were pitiless, cold as the wind. One of us had to go. I had other children in need of my care. And my own strength was an asset to the community required. I could not go in her place. Only take her hand, comfort her, ensure she knew nothing until the last possible moment, then passed from life to death too quickly to feel or understand. After I had, well, after, I had to work quickly to break open the ribs, liberate the heart and offer it hot, steaming, still pulsing out its last few beats to those who waited out in the snow. I left the rest of her too. When the storm ebbed and the snow thinned, we found bones. Now the hour of the solstice nears again. 
The white wind howls, the black night's cold, the winter locks us in a grip so tight I hear the walls creak. I can feel them out there in the snow. Distant for now, but drawing closer. I wonder who it will be next time. And the next, and next, and after that, to the last Christmas of them all, perhaps. Or to that dreamed of spring, if it ever comes again. In either case, I try not to think what will remain of us. Yeah, I like it. I didn't actually realize until I started reading it could almost be a sequel to yours or set in the aftermath of that's of true. Your story. Yeah. Even the, the, I, I, I remember I, I didn't realize until you, you were reading before the, uh, you know, the, the, the thimble winter last uh, two, lasting three years. And it was like, I wasn't even thinking of that when I wrote the damn thing. It was like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> that's just serendipity for you. <laughs> you kind of fit it together. <laughs> serendipity. Oh, that was really great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for liking my my wonderfully uh, self indulgent uh, little piece of <laughs> Norse mythology. <laughs> wonderfully self indulgent slash Marvel. <laughs> I think that was. A, I mean, that was a bit, that was a nice twofer, and uh, I think everyone, all our listeners, will probably be turning the central heating up um, yeah. after that one. Okay, so uh, we hope you enjoyed all that. Uh, if you want to hear more discussion of icy, snowy terror, then you may want to check out the first two parts of our interview with Ali Wilkes, which are up now. The final part will be out next week. Uh, after that, we will be back in the new year, in 2024, to lower the tone of the conversation once again. Until then, have a fantastic festive period, whatever it is, whatever you may actually celebrate, or just enjoy a couple of days off work hopefully um and we'll see you in 2024 take care guys <laughs>